Curtis, it is amazing, but we are looking back at one year in reflection today. Has it really been one year? It has. Tune in with us today. We've got a great show. Thanks for joining our podcast. Well, good Friday morning. It is so exciting to be here. We welcome you, Mobile, and thank you for joining us for our first ever Echo Stop Live podcast. My name's Kevin, and I'm here with my really good friend, Curtis. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Well, I hope they're doing good, Curtis. How are you so doing? Too. I'm doing great. So, <laughs> looking back a year, yeah. I'm still here with my good friend, Curtis. Hey, man. Hey. You know, um, tender there. And we are making, yeah, <laughs> well, we're, we're a year older. Yeah. Um, but we're making tremendous progress. But looking back at where we are, do you think, um, you know, a year ago that this effort would have landed us where we are now? Because I still feel like there's a lot of work to do. Well, we've just begun, right? Right. So obviously, I mean, one year has passed, uh, and we've had some great moments. Uh, we've had some goofy moments, but we've had some serious dialogue, none the same, with some people, some great people in the community. But now it's time to have that talk translate or transform from talk to action let's do it you willing to go on a little journey with me we're going to go back down memory lane for just a minute and see where we've been and where we're headed and really talk about the future as long as it's not a rabbit hole it won't be a rabbit hole gotcha let's go million dollar question but I don't, i've only got about a dollar okay you're out of luck then no okay well i want a million dollar answer i mean who is responsible for fixing the issues that we see. I mean, this is something people say, like who who has ownership in making Mobile the safest city that it can be? We all do. Everyone, not just law enforcement. You know, a lot of people think law enforcement is the end all to every solution, but it's not. Uh, it is the community, people in the community every day, those who see it and experience, before, and experience crime before law enforcement even gets on the scene. Uh, we want to stop crime before it happens. That's the whole point of law enforcement, right? I think so. And, 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 and I'm excited to be here with you having this podcast because this is truly an opportunity that we have to engage with the community in a meaningful way. And, and, and I know I've got Curtis on rare form today. but you do. Uh, I do. But yeah. the reality of it is we want to have those conversations, whether they're conventional or traditional or they're non-conventional or non-traditional. We want to have the true, honest conversation where we can find out what we can do. And we also need the help. Uh, you, you said it takes everybody. It takes everyone, man. But truly, yeah. it, it takes all of us. That's, that's, that's what we've been um, really standing behind. When you see or hear Echo Stop, it's probably not far behind it that you hear somebody say it takes all of us, and it, and it truly does. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And so... Hmm. Now we're going through this and realizing that it truly does take all of us. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that highlights what's missing, too, the, those people that we need on this. So, so really where I see us going is it's coming alongside those people that we need. You know what it highlighted? What it highlighted? It highlighted my gut, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit yours. Um, but, but nonetheless, no, you're right. I think Absolutely. we've got better lighting now, Kurt. Oh, my goodness. That's scary. <laughs> well, let's see what else we got next because uh, I'm, I'm super excited about where we're headed, and I feel like we can get a super – great focus on 
coming alongside our neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm envisioning some front porch conversations. Let's make it happen. We have to take back the community and, 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 and those choices for individuals to, to, to you know, decide to, to, to shoot a weapon uh, out in the community like that, not really the, knowing who, who they're hit or who they're aiming at, you know, and for it to be a, a, an effect like we had this summer, those are some of the, 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 the issues and challenges that we face. But it goes more into the community members, the, 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 the Mr. Johnsons who's mm -hmm. sitting on, a, on, on, a, on, on his porch in the morning watching all the kids go to the bus stop. It right. goes to, to, to the candy lady. I don't know if we even got candy ladies mm -hmm. anymore, but it's individuals like that in the community who we would need now to come back and start helping us to steer uh, the young ones, to, to, to guide us. It takes the energy of the young people but the wisdom of the elders, right? And we gotta be able to ride on the wisdom of these elders, but also engage and galvanize the young individuals to stand up against the very thing that is keeping them from it being exactly what God has called them to be, so. And, and, and you, you're, gonna, you're gonna stay, so I'm gonna steal it from yeah, you. Yeah, you're the right elder, here. and I'm I the young the, wisdom. I will take that, I'm I'll the young take wisdom. that, man. But, uh, the young wisdom, okay. <laughs> but um, he, um, he, he mentioned something. You know, Josh, yeah. Josh mentioned something yeah. there, and he called it out from the very beginning. Yes, he did. Front porch. Yeah, he said front porch, and that's important. That, it's always been the front porch. Uh, I think things went astray when people left their front porch. But why did they leave the front porch? They left their front porch because neighbors were no longer respecting neighbors. Uh, neighbors who were... Um, concerned enough to let other neighbors know about things going on in the community, uh, starting off with their children, uh, people became offended uh, and didn't want you sharing or telling them things that they needed to know uh, because in some way they felt like you were judging them. And people started to slowly go back into their homes because they didn't feel like they were being treated neighborly. Uh, what happens when that happens is this, is that people take note, uh, the criminal element does, that you're no longer sitting on your porch. You're, not, you're no longer talking to one another. And because you're not talking to one another, it gives them the opportunity to do what they will. And we're about to talk here for a minute mm -hmm. because I think we've got an episode coming up um, that we're gonna highlight for a minute. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about gangs. What happens when you get in gangs? Let's take a look yeah. back at episode number 10. What events had to happen at that point to get you from the gang life to, to where you are today. Okay, so the the last time uh, I went to jail, you know, I uh, went to jail here in Mobile and I had some time in Mississippi. They extradited me to Mississippi and I had like 20 years over my head over there. And so when I got to Mobile, I literally just, I covered up with my blanket and I just started crying, you know, and I was like, Lord, I done really put myself in a bad situation this time. And I was like, I'm not asking you to get me out of anything. I'm just asking you to give me some peace through this and help me get through this this time because I know I made my bed and I got to lay in it this time. And so I sat there for a little while and I was just like, you know what, maybe I should try rehab, you know, because I had a drug problem, you know. And I was like, maybe I should try rehab this time. And so I called one of my friends from the streets and I thought, hey, can you get me in a rehab? And she's like, yeah, what rehab? And I said, well, I heard this Big Fish Ministries in Foley, Alabama is a real good rehab. Could you get me in over there? So over the months, uh, she finally gets my acceptance letter, and by that time I done made it to Mississippi, and I done went in front of the judge one time, and he's like, oh, "Kevin, I'm not letting you go this time." He's like, "You're here, you're here this time." And so I'm just thinking, man, 20 years is a long time. I'm I'm 30. I was like 35 at the time, and I was like, man, by the time I get out of here, my daughter will be grown. She won't want to have nothing to do with me. You know, I've been a Mr. Whole life, and so 
I finally just kept on and went in front of the judge one more time and uh I finally convinced him to give me a give me a chance, you know, and he was like, Well Mr. Newton, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Mm -hmm. And if you if you hang yourself up this time it's your own fault. And so he let me out the next day and I promise you I didn't miss a beat from, from there to Foley, Alabama <laughs> getting over there. Yeah. And so I got into Big Fish Ministry and uh man I just like I said, I finally encountered God in a in a mighty way and I've built a relationship with him instead of just, you know, you go to church and you sing the songs and you listen to the to the sermon mm -hmm. and, and you know you're just you're just doing the church thing. But when you really get that encounter with God and he's got you weeping on your knees, you know what I'm saying? I mean there's nothing like it. Huh. That's good. There That's is good. nothing like it. No, it's not. And you know you know, when should a gang issue be addressed? Surely not when you see it uh, in its form that makes you deduce that it is a game. Um, you know, Kevin hit a lot of things um, on the head. I think one of the things is that we don't spend enough time trying to mitigate situations before they actually metastasize into what they become. No, and I think he, he also uh, really brought to light, I think that was maybe one of our most popular episodes mm -hmm. yeah. where he brought to light just the real struggle that it is, that this is not easy. And that we understand it's not easy, and there's a process that you have to go through, and sometimes that process is a refining process. But when you become refined in that refining process, you bring something much shinier and more uh, useful back to the community, and you've gotten all the dirt and all the stuff that goes along with it out of the way. And so I feel like that was a spiritual conversation, mm -hmm. and and this goes straight back to the four corners. Uh, yeah. You know, we're back to faith. It goes back to that holistic approach, right? Well, holistic-led policing is where we're at. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if we're going to make a difference in our community, um, we're going to adopt these new principles. And uh, let's see what else we got on the on the reel here. And you just said something there because our teachers often are sort of the unsung heroes that are the conduit between right. reinforcing what either is not getting reinforced at home mm -hmm. or is is driving somebody to not go to a church and, and well, Dr. Michael, did you organize this thing? <laughs> this was a setup over here. You know, I'm oh going to tell you goodness. what the setup was. Drop the mic, you, baby. You were the real setup because as much as you knocked my microphone out of the way, the real setup, oh. the real setup was that you had a buttoned shirt and no tie for almost flash, the entire man. episode. That is, that, is, that is flashy, man. You be ready to go. On, but hey, let me tell you about something here. Mm. We did a podcast in a church. Yeah. And there was something about sitting amongst a group of great spiritual warriors. Mm -hmm. um, again, we're still on that faith piece. And the interesting thing about that faith piece is we went there for a faith piece and we walked out with a family piece because what that church was doing and what those other ministers were doing was really bringing um, to life uh, how faith can roll and play a role in the community. Um, and I think that's so important. It's not just can, but how can it not? And the absence of it leads to a lot of the erosion that we see in our communities today um, because it's not about a particular religion. It's about uh, having an understanding that faith outside of yourself, uh, being anchored to something, is the thing that serves as a conduit for positive change. And I think talking about positive change uh, rolls us right into our next episode because mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, when we look back at that episode where we had Captain Lafitte on mm -hmm. with us, I think you see positive change in the future of law enforcement. Yeah. Lee, when we think about uh, community and law enforcement relationships, uh, uh, tell us, 
you know, why is it important to daily strengthen police and community relationships in the city? You know, um, I'm going I'm to I'm go really sim simplistic. Uh, we have approximately 400 officers on the Mobile Police Department. Um, so if you do the math, that's 800 eyes um, that can actually observe crime and things of that nature. When you have a whole community uh, looking at, um, you know, being one, uh, you have many more eyes than just that 400. Right. Um, the only way to police, the only way to police, um, and I would say from its inception, um, is to have the community. Uh, the community is vital to safety. If 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 you care, Kevin cares, and I care, and we're not police officers. I mean, I know we are, but we're not in this in this in this, in this example. We have a, a fist that can go back and strike against the wrongdoers. But if we're separated, oh wait, you care about that, you care about your side, and I care about my side. And that. if we're separated, we're not we can't strike that blow to the to the wrongdoers of our community. That's the way it works. We have to um, we have to band together and say we're not going to take what's occurring. Mm. That was such a powerful not. conversation. You know what Lee said uh, holds true in so many uh, respects because it does take the entire community, and that's what we've been pushing. And this front porch approach that we're taking goes to the core of that because it's important to start the conversation by affecting each porch one at a time. Uh, we wish we could do it simultaneously with mm. a number of porches. However, it's just two of us uh, trying to have a conversation, but the hope is that others will start having a conversation and, uh, and, and put back in place that, that visual look about what's going on in my community and not waiting on law enforcement to uh, respond to something that can or most likely should or can be prevented before the need of law enforcement ever needs to be come into place. And let's talk about what happens when it's not prevented. Mm -hmm. um, we've got an episode that we did with some mothers um, who had lost their children due mm -hmm. to gun or gang violence in our community. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a perfect example of uh, how you can heal on the other side, but just mm -hmm. as, a, as an outcry to how important it is that this front porch and this prevention and this holistic-led policing uh, approach really needs to become the future of our community. So we have our first uh, an official meeting at uh, Cedar Point Social Club downtown. But then we're gonna have like our grand walk with all of the mother that, that has joined. It's gonna be actually on Chavan's way. Uh, the street where my son was murdered and robbed. Okay, and all right. This 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 is obviously emotion, and so so we understand that. And I, I feel like it takes bravery to even come here and sit with us and talk. But man, how many people are going to learn from this, and and what the positive thing is that's going to come from this? And so thank you for being here for that. And thank you for organizing a rally that says we're not afraid to talk about it even when it hurts. And so we appreciate that and we recognize that. And I feel like, uh, uh, Curtis, you know, this is a time where, where we don't just need bravery, but we need healing. I'm about to do something that we're asking others to do right now. Okay. Take my chair. You know the cameras are probably looking crazy at me right now, but I'm gonna do this for a reason. The reason why I'm doing this is because what we have to do 
What we have to do is come beside people who are impacted by trauma and know that they need us beside them. They need us to walk with them. They need us to see them because this is not just about them. It's about all of us. Uh, if they're in pain, we should feel pain. We should feel empathy for them. We should feel that it could have been me, but by the grace of God, it wasn't. So God, I'm asking you now, what can I do to bring relief to someone else who's experiencing the pain that I'm thankful that you didn't put on me? Or you didn't allow me to experience, although we know that everything that you do has a purpose and design. Uh, and it's for our good. Uh, but right now, it doesn't feel like it. It's okay to say that. But it's better for us to be able to stand beside that person or sit beside that person and share as much of their experience as we can with them. Mm. So that, that, that was probably one of the more powerful uh, episodes. You know, we went out to, mm -hmm. to the crime scene. We went yeah. out to where it was uh, long after it happened. It wasn't an active crime scene, but that's where she lost her son. Mm -hmm. um, and we spoke to other mothers who, who have had children taken from them in the community due to violence and violence acts. And uh, I got to give you kudos on that one, Curtis. Um, mm. You magnified what it meant to put yourself in a place next to somebody, even when they're in the pain pit. You didn't, you didn't just try to pull them out of the pain pit. You sat with them and said, I'm going to go through this with you and get out. And I feel like when our community understands that mm -hmm. we don't just have to pull at each other, mm -hmm. but that we can sit by each other and together make our way out, well, uh, I think we'll be better off. I think one of the things is that I know her story. And I think that's where things get lost because oftentimes we don't pause long enough to get to know a person's story. Not that the news just put something out there in quick succession where another shooting, another life lost, but, but taking time out to just pause and try to relate to the unrelatable that you want it to be unrelatable, but you want to relate to it so that you pause in your day and know how important it is for us to stand shoulder to shoulder with people who are experiencing these type traumas because it doesn't end. No. It doesn't end every moment, every pause, every smell, uh, every room that someone who's been impacted by death uh, will forever be experiencing a degree of trauma that none of us ever want to experience. Well, in talking about trauma, we've, um, I remember we brought on, uh, we've had several good doctors that we brought on and uh, yeah. remember one of them specifically talking about trauma and how it really, uh, resiliency and, and how we deal with that uh, from more of a hospital and ER perspective, um, it really enlightened us into a broader spectrum into social yes, care. Yes, it did. I mean, a trauma injury from gunshot wound, this isn't just something that happens, somebody comes in the hospital, they get treated and they get well, like there's long standing significant mm -hmm. things. So tell us a little bit about that so that people understand yeah. the magnitude of what we're really talking about. Yeah. Um, so certainly, um, you know, we are trained to deal with any type of injury, um, you know, from a medical standpoint, um, we've gotten really good at that. 
part of my passion and part of what I want to bring to the table is really the holistic care of a patient. Um, We're not just treating a patient who was shot. We're treating that patient, we're caring for them, but we're also taking care of their family as well. They're not the only ones that are affected by that gunshot wound. Um, Certainly when they first come in, it's all about making sure that that we're caring for their injury and making sure that we are um, doing everything we can to preserve their life, but also preserve their function. Um, Certainly we have all the numbers of there are this many gunshots, you know, a year in the country, in Alabama, in our city, and this number of people die from it. Um, but what we don't really have a good grasp on is the whole whole impact of gun violence. Um, we don't talk enough about what it's like for that patient who survives the gunshot wound to then get better. Um, And being in the hospital is only a piece of it. Uh, We like to say a a lot of the recovery comes after they leave the hospital. And so when you begin to take care of that patient, you have to understand, okay, what resources does this patient have for when they are home after, you know, having something like this happen, when they do make it out of the hospital, what resources do they have to care for themselves? Do they have family members, friends, um, that support system to be able to finish recovering? And on top of the, the physical injury, what impact does this have on them emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? Um, and so thinking about trauma in a holistic way is um, really my passion and um, kind of what I, I bring to the table in terms of how we're caring for these patients. Hmm. Let, me, let me say this. I love this jacket. Makes me slim. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite jacket. Well, if favorite we're talking jacket, about the yeah. whole Curtis, we're talking about the holistic approach Absolutely. as well. And she, she called it out yeah, right she, there. Yes, she did. Uh, Dr. Williams uh, did call it out as holistic, something that we understand wholeheartedly. We understand that that impact is a ripple. Uh, it is a, a uh, thing that does not just stay within the immediate circle of the impact it spreads and it continues mm. to spread until we realize that we've got, we have to contain the spread. How do we contain the spread? We start to affect change within the infected, and I dare say infected, but the trauma the area, affected. the affected area, so that we can start to mitigate those, those things that, that people are, are experiencing as a result of that trauma. So, because if we don't do that, what happens? There's a, there's a saying that uh, we don't like to hear it, but it's true, and that is hurt people hurt people. Uh, and what happens when a person's hurt or someone who is impacted by another person's hurt and they've not experienced any type of mitigation to their hurt? What happens is, is that we leave the hurt untreated and that hurt metastasized into something that cannot be contained because you let it go untreated for too long, and then it goes out and it creates more, it creates more hurt. I agree, and I think one of the places we can look to start really uh, affecting mm-hmm. those that are affected and have a good effect mm-hmm. is uh, to look back at our schools and, and the students that we went and spoke with. Right. I'm just inspired. Like, Man. really inspired. Did this on purpose. I am, too. <laughs> I am absolutely, you know, I'm always encouraged. I think we found every episode you were in that jacket. I know, right? With the future. And, and when I have these conversations, you know, for me, it's about, I want to know what drives you. 
and I've heard a little bit of that already. And I want to also ask you guys this all but important question, and that's about just violence in the community and your views on the violence. We talked a little bit about it already, right? But, but, but what, what are your views? Um, well, in a world um, full of chaos, uh, we continue to wrestle with the never-ending problems of socioeconomic inequality and justice. Um, even depression, teen bullying, corruption, and poverty that sometimes can spawn criminality and armed rebellion. And so the question is, what can we do to help our next generation? I um, go to church faithfully. And we have some in our congregation who are dealing with problems at home. And when the children come to this school or wherever they're going, I try to treat people with decency and respect. Because after they leave this campus and after they leave our church house, you don't know what they're dealing with when they go home. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was so profound. You know, yeah. you, you listening to the youth yeah, yeah. was such an important thing. And, and this is the cool thing. Kids will say what they're thinking on many occasions, mm -hmm. and that truth could hit at so many different levels. But when they figured out that that truth mm -hmm. is something that they can affect with change for the right effect, as I said, going into mm -hmm. it, um, man, that's a powerful future. There's it hope. is. We have there world is. changers right, right in front there of is. us. I mean, we saw that firsthand. We saw yeah. the future leaders of our community. We hope that they stay in our community. And. Uh, uh, you know, he mentioned church, and, and, and I got to thinking about one of the other episodes we did where um, we brought in, a, we were doing a series on heroes, and we brought in one of the heroes of faith, um, somebody we both know pretty well. Um, and I just think back to the time that uh, we spent in the studio with uh, Jeremiah. What can faith do? If they're sitting there listening, they're watching us right oh, now. Great new think, jacket. Oh, I like music, or... or you know, I, I speak to God in this other way, you know, like how can they harness that? Like how do you take this thing that you have that you feel that's inside of you that's pushing out and it's manifesting itself in, in such a way you're clearly passionate about what you're doing and, and, you know, where they can find a passion and that passion can be something positive, life-breathing instead of something passionate that's just kind of filling time. Mm. I'll, I'll let you guys fight over who kind of goes there first, but, you know, if we're trying to drive participation in the community, what role does faith play in that passion? The number way I've always thought of it is you have to ask yourself, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Because I very strongly believe that the Lord places those passions in you so that you could use them for His good. And so I believe it's a, taking that step of, okay, what do I enjoy? Whether that is through art, whether that is through music, whether that's through speaking, and saying, okay, how can I use this and express this in a way that is both positive is both, you know, uplifting, is both, you know, even faith-based. And I believe that the Lord will honor that um, because it, that's the great thing about, you know, those things is if you're passionate about music and you may not feel like you're the best musician, like, you know, there's so many resources out there to grow, but also at the end of the day, the Lord just wants you to sing a song. So when I fight, I fight on my
powerful. That was it. We hit that off before we hit the road. Um, I'll tell you what, um, the Lord does just want you to sing. And I feel like he, he embraced that. And, uh, man, we took that, that spiritual conquest, and then we hit the road, and we took ourselves a little road tour. And, uh, man, we showed up at that hangar, and I, I can't think our podcast was ever the same after that. And uh, it certainly won't be going future in this uh, second series because we are going to get on some front porches mostly because of some of the things we heard when right. we were out in Texas. Absolutely. You know, this building out here, this is a hangar. Literally, this is a literal hangar. I was hangar, wrong right? about that. Right? For the most part. <laughs> uh, but there's, a, there's some historical facts to this building, right? What can you tell us about it? I, I sure, I surely, I can tell you. Um, again, we, uh, we came out here using the outreach. God said, believe him for a community center. And we, for three years, we looked. And we, God supernaturally provided this space that we're in today. Um, it was an abandoned school that had had not been used for many years uh where we're sitting today was actually the gymnasium to a school called ralph j bunch and it was the black school up until 1968 here in brookshire texas right and so uh this is a town this is a community that was pl plagued and marked by racial division uh waller county had the third most lynchings in the state of texas from the end of civil war through reconstruct i mean through the civil rights movement and so that is underlying everything out here in this community but god has taken this facility a sign of the times a sign of racial division and discord and has transformed it into the hangar unity center um, a place where life takes flight and so this was the old gym it looked it, it wasn't an actual airplane hangar but it looks like one it's an old quonset style hut um, gymnasium and currently it's just a beacon of light for this community okay I was wrong about it being a real hangar. <laughs> However, well, things took flight out of there. Right, things sure. did take flight, and and one of the things he said it used to be one of the it was the black school. Uh, uh, pause on that for a second, and, and 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 take into context what that means now in the present tense, and how he describes it, as opposed to how it was treated right. back then. Right. And and some of those things uh, we will be uh, uh, absent of of logic and truth if we did not say that the past still hunts so many um, mm -hmm. as it relates to community. Well, let's talk about Marco. We met him in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, his past does not haunt him. He's turned that past around and he's using that as an extremely powerful tool. Um, I was so honored and blessed to have met Marco. I met him on several occasions, but we traveled out to Texas and actually had a sit-down conversation with him in the warehouse that he now uses to feed and clothe so many in their community. Mm. I just hit a rock bottom, and I remember being in my living room at home, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I, I had been up for about five days at this time, and I'm thinking, man, this is it. Like, I have nothing left. Mm. Like, I don't know what else to do, where to go from here. And I, and this was probably, a, now we're talking about the third time, fourth time I'm praying to God. And I said, God, I was like, uh, before I take my life, I want to say a prayer. And I pray that you hear me. And I said, I want my wife to have a godly husband that would take care of her and be a good husband. Mm -hmm. the, what you intended for me, mm -hmm. I would love for you to give her a man that can do that, that could wow. give her everything I couldn't everything that I destroyed, that you would be able to bless her with a man that was greater than I. And God, give my kids a father that would raise them up in the ways of the Lord. I have a daughter, Aaliyah, my son, Matthew, 
and my uh, youngest son, Jacob. And I said, Lord, give him a father that would teach him your ways, that would be a good father, that would never leave them. And I, I said, I'm about to take my life, but please answer that prayer for me. And so I cocked a 12-gauge Mossberg shotgun. Uh, I had shot it all the time. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a gun toter. You know, yeah. I was, I love shooting guns. I love hitting the range. Uh, you know, and so I put this shotgun to my head. I cocked the tr- the, the the slug and I pulled the trigger, and it pops, poop. But the slug didn't come out, and I instantly bust down crying. And I'm just weeping and weeping and weeping, and I'm thinking, God, what do I do now? <laughs> And something stirred up in me, and I called my mom, and I said, hey, I need help. I can't do this no more. I have nothing, and I just try to take my life. And God just put the dots together. They brought me together, and we had what they would say is an intervention. But I I sit down with Pastor Brandon, Miss Carrie, his wife, Pastor Roger, Miss Pam. They were leading the recovery group at Powerhouse at the time. My wife, my children are there, my mom, my dad. And I thought, man, they're going to let me have it. But no, they just loved on me. They encouraged me. They just told me so much about how, you know, they believed that God was moving in my life and that mm-hmm. they would never leave me and that they would be there for me and support me mm-hmm. and that they would take care of everything at home, that I just needed to get help. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just said, yeah, I'll go. You know, I'll go. Yeah. The next day I was on a plane to Mobile, got to Mobile, entered the program. Uh, it went great. I got submitted. Um, I received, you know, a lot of revelation, a lot of knowledge, uh, learned, got some understanding, which mm-hmm. turns into wisdom. And I came home on fire. <laughs> I came home on fire, you know, um, preaching, teaching, sharing the word of God, just encourage. And God answered that prayer, that prayer that I prayed right before I was going to take my life mm-hmm. to give my wife a mm-hmm. husband that would love her yeah. like Christ loved the church, to give my kids a father. That would die for them. He answered that, but I thought it was another man, but it was me. Hmm. Yeah, that was a uh, that was pretty pretty powerful. Uh, uh, I think every time I talk to Marco, I learn something new <laughs> yeah. about his story when I watch these things. But uh, man, that that just goes back to say that all of these prayers that we have for our community, all four corners that we use to approach our holistic approach mm-hmm. for this type of policing, it really comes back to the individual. Each individual has a role to play. Each individual needs to kind of pray about seeing something bigger and greater than themselves. And um, I can just tell you this, it, it's been a good run this first year, but we are just getting started. And I'm so excited about where I get to go with you as a good mm. friend um, and a co-host on this thing. But um, we need to bring the community back together again, best way we can, but to serve with the hands and feet and to get back on those front porches. And that's, that's, that's the way I would end the first year and I would begin the second. I would just add to that that having having an outward mindset matters um, a lot of people don't quite understand what that is because they're always inward thinking what's in it for me not realizing that if you think outwardly that's a cone and at the top of that cone is you and so you benefit from the outward mindset uh, and what you do you'll be amazed what ripples back to you when you engage people with an outward mindset. Well, uh, you know, Nike's gotten pretty famous by telling people just to do it. Just do it, yeah. Um, I want to use the second year Mm -hmm. to tell people to just believe it. 
because I think when we believe that we can make a difference. Um, Sounds like a t-shirt. I like that. I don't know if it's a t-shirt, but it's certainly <laughs> going to be what they see pouring yeah. out of me um, yeah. and yeah. you as we hit the streets here coming soon. So thanks again for tuning in. We're so excited that uh, that you've joined us for this annual uh, review, <laughs> if you will, our one-year anniversary. Right. Um, right. But don't use this as a tool to look back. Use this as the power that we see it um, as we move forward because I am believing for great things in our community. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Friday, as we always do, on the Echo Stop Live podcast.